Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is a CC Radio podcast. It was just the most massive thing I've ever seen. I, to tell you the honest truth, I thought, well, we're the only ones left on this planet. Something's happened. We've missed something here. The fear that went in me when I seen it was just, um, like, the feeling. I'd say it was fear, but I've never felt that feeling before in my entire life. It's a weird feeling. Like, you can't explain it when you don't know. You feel like you're being followed, but you don't know what it is. We had two to our right, another one in front of us, another one to the left, and another one just across the road, shaking the daylight out of the tree. All we get was a big red eye. I remember waking up and looking at the end of the bed, and there was a figure there, almost insect-like, and then I blacked out. Welcome to the show, everyone. You are listening to Believe, Paranormal and UFO Radio. My name is Cade Moyer, and thanks for tuning in. If you've had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. If you enjoy this episode, there are a few things you can do to help the show. Firstly, you can go to iTunes and leave us a five star rating and review or you can share the show around social media with your friends and family and that would help us grow. Tonight, I'm joined by Attila, and I got a lot of messages after the live stream because apparently I cut Attila off when he was about to tell this amazing story that he had, well, an amazing encounter that he had over in Hilland. <laughs> Attila, welcome to the show, mate. G'day, Kate. How are you going? Thanks for having me again. I'm good, mate. My inbox got absolutely swamped, and um, I felt like really, really bad because, you know, like when you stand on like a, a dog's paw by accident, they kind of yelp. This was the, the kind of reaction I got from the listeners of our live stream of the uh, Disclosure Roundtable, which is um, uh, wow. which was a fantastic event, by the way. Thank you for, for joining me on that. That was a fantastic discussion. My pleasure, mate. Many times. But um, yeah, this Hillen story, I, uh, I need to hear it from you, mate, because I reckon it's a good one. Well, let me start from the beginning here, um, just to sort of refresh uh, the memory. Um, going back in 2000, uh, and that's when I sort of, uh, one of the early stages when I got into um, researching the UFO phenomena and so forth. Uh, so, my God, that's now 20 years ago, <laughs> just thinking about it. Um, I got a lead from a fellow that I knew at the time and he knew that I was involved with researching aerial phenomena and other strange things and I bumped into him and he said, look, you know, I've, I've, I know a guy from work and he says that he, um, he rides his, uh, his motocross bike out of Hill End, 
which is an old gold mining town not far from Safala in the Western Tablelands here in New South Wales. And he would ride his, his trail bike with his friends and, and on some nights there, there would be these mysterious lights that would be following him and his mates on their motocross bikes and, and these lights would stop and when they would stop and then continue and so forth. So it really got to a point where it started freaking these guys out. So, and I said to this fellow, I said, look, if you can give me a map and just give me a rough idea as to where they saw this, you know, I'll, I'll take a team of people out and, and we'll just spend a few days out there assessing that region. So he gave me a, a crude map and uh, in 2000 and uh, I believe it was 2001 or 2002, we actually went out to Hilland and we hired a four-wheel drive and we actually approached Hilland uh, from the Bathurst and, and uh, the road at the time was pretty rough. We hired a, an old uh, Nissan Pathfinder and um, we went on what's called the Bridal Track and uh, it's pretty hairy at places but we actually got to the spot where this guy roughly drew his diagram and uh, we, we set up camp there. There was a few of us there. and. The second night that we were there, um, things started to get real and um, we started seeing lights in the skies buzzing around and everything else and, and we were getting excited and one of the guys had a 10-inch uh, Dobsonian telescope. It's one of those telescopes that looks like a cannon and uh, he was actually able to point at one of the lights that was actually hovering in the sky and it, it looked like one of those classical sort of dumbbell-shaped crafts. And uh, funny enough, I actually took a photo of it with my video camera through the eyepiece, um, and um, and it kind of came out. So it kind of sort of gives an idea as to what it what it looked like. But what really was intriguing that night, apart from all these mysterious lights, was this this almost like an aurora borealis appeared on on the dirt road. Now this place, just to give you a, a quick idea, it's it's in a remote spot. It's off the actual bridal track. It had a really nice view there, so it's it's on a high point, but it's not a designated camping ground or anything. It's just 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 a, a, a cleared area there, and the the track kind of was below us. So, and it would actually turn on a 45 degree angle and go up the side of this mountain, which was full of trees. And and as you drove up the this part of the bridal track, it had trees on both sides, so it got pretty dark there. And this is where we saw this curtain of light, and, and there was this other guy with me, and um, and uh, we were. This guy's name was Philip, and we were looking at this thing, and, and I said to him, "We've got to go and check this out and see what's actually causing this," because it wasn't. You, you know, when somebody's out there playing silly buggers with a torch, this was a like a diffused light, and it was like a curtain of different colours. It was like it was emanating up from the ground. And we started walking down the hill, and when we got to the track, this overwhelming nasty sensation just just came over us. And I said to to Philip, I said, "Mate, look, I I got this really bad feeling that if we keep going, something really really terrible is going to happen. The rest of the crew is up on top of the hill. It's only you and me. If something happens, they're not going to hear it." He had the same feeling, so we decided to back off. And as we got back up towards camp, we looked back, and this 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 curtain of light kind of just dissipated. 
And for years, I regret not going there, mate. It was just one of those encounters that you think it's a once-in-a-lifetime encounter, and I stuffed it up because my gut was screaming at me. You know, I didn't have the courage to go there and and and, and to investigate because that's I was an investigator at the time. And but if this opportunity happens again, I'm not going to hesitate. So about four or five years later, we went back again to Hill End, and. I was with a different crew this time, and sure as eggs, this light again appeared in the same spot. And I said to the guys, I'm going to go there on my own, and I'm going to find out what the hell is doing this. So I, I gathered my courage. Um, I had a CB radio with me, and I had a torch, and I had my trusty knife with me too. <laughs> and um, I thought, you know, if, if something's going to come at me, at least I'm going to have something <laughs> to defend myself. Um, so this was in September and um, it was probably about oh, eight, between, I'd say between 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I'm going down there on my own and this curtain of light, as, as I go down, it vanishes. And then all of a sudden these guys are saying, look, there are there are some spots of light that are like flashes of light that are appearing on the side of the mountain and we'll let you know when there's one directly next to you. So every sort of 10, 20 metres I'll step, I'll flash back my torch and that's it. Keep going, keep going. So I'm going up this track which is really dark. It's got a, a like a mountain on one side and a drop off on the other side. Trees on both edges of this dirt road. Nobody else is on there, just myself. I'm about a few hundred metres away from the crew so I can imagine a you know, the, the, the panic stations were, were off the charts at the time. You know, you're on your own in this dark area, you just don't know what the hell's going to happen. So I'm going, I'm going, and I'm flashing my torch back, and then they scream back into the radiance. It's right above you, mate. So I'm looking up to my left, and that's where this mountain is, and I just, just start scrambling up in the dark with my torch, sort of strobing as I'm sort of wrapping hold of the rocks and, and trying to dodge all the you know, the, the shrubs and everything else. I'm getting my arm cut and, and I'm just, I don't care because I need to find out what the hell is doing this. I'm going about a quarter of the way up and it's a pretty steep ascent and as I shine my torch forward, mate, I see this, it almost looked like it was in the shape of a kid, like a young child. And it was like, had its hands or its arms pressed against its side, its legs were, were very firm, like pressed against, like together, but it looked like it was hovering. And I dropped the torch and I picked it up and this thing just started backing off up into the shrub. It wasn't walking, it just hovered up the mountain and went behind this scrub. And I'm radioing back and just, just sort of relaying to these guys, I, don't, I can't believe what I'm saying, guys, I'm, I'm going to go find out and see what the hell this is. And I'm scrambling up this hill and I get, and I'm facing this scrub where this thing went behind. And I didn't have any features, it was all black. And even though I had the torch on it, it was still all black, but it just didn't walk. It was just hovering and it just hovered up this mountain with, with minimal effort, no effort at all. It like it defied the, the laws of physics. It was like there was no gravity at all for this thing. Anyway, here I am facing this scrub and I've got the torch and I've had my hand next to my side where my knife was and my gut starts screaming at me again and it says, mate, you go any further, um, you may not make it back out of here in one piece. 
um, and it just felt it just felt like an ambush. And the feeling was so intense that that I just started shaking like jelly. And I said, "That's it. I'm I'm heading back down the hill. I've seen enough. I I, I don't want to go any further because I'm alone. If something happens here, the crew won't be able to find me." Um, so here I am going down the hill, and I'm, I'm sort of flashing my torch back. I'm scrambling down the hill, and I get to the last footing, and I basically just trip over this big rock, and I f I'm falling about probably about a meter and a half to two meters. But as I'm falling, I'm turning around, and I've got my torch facing back to see if this thing is actually <laughs> following me, and I just slam the ground. With, with this this almighty bang and just the air, I remember the air rushing out of my lungs and I'm gasping for air, I'm sort of in this cloud of dust and I'm just getting up and I'm tasting dust, I'm not even tasting air, I'm coughing, choking, and I'm trying to radio back but I'm not making any sense. So I'm just bolting back to base camp and just telling the guys actually what happened. Um, it, was, it was a horrifying encounter, mate, because it was, I don't know what the hell I was expecting to see but I sure as hell wasn't expecting to see this. Mate, I got chills from you telling me that story. That would have been... I would have cracked my pants. There's no other way of me saying that. That sounds terrifying. Yeah, I don't remember if I did. I think I was just so overwhelmed with adrenaline whether or not I did crap or wet myself. But, um, look, I mean, the thing is you spend enough time out there and, and I do spend a lot of time out there and searching for things, and especially now being, I, I mean, I refer to myself as an investigative journalist, being a documentary filmmaker. I still pretty much do what I did back in those days. The only difference is now is I, 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 I search or research and investigate uh, for a story, for a documentary film. But uh, back in those days, I was still sort of at the early stages of, of filmmaking and, and um and going on leads was, was a key thing for us because where other people have claimed to have seen things, um, you want to go there and see what the hell is going on. Um, and we've, we've been, like I've been to Helene uh, probably, I think I came, went back there one or, or, or I think about probably twice after that. But that encounter was, 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 was a hell of a thing. I've, I've never in my life seen anything like that. I mean, I've seen a lot of weird stuff. Um, but I've never seen anything like that, mate. That's uh, that's intense because I can't believe that you you saw the like that sheet of light two times in a row in the exact same spot. Yeah. That blows yeah. my mind. Yeah, I really don't know what it was. I just I'm completely dumbfounded to to what was causing that. I mean, I mean, this it almost looked like it was emanating from the ground up. So no idea. I didn't see. Like when I was hiking out there, uh, even in the dark, and we went back during the day, and there was there's nothing there. I took photos of of the spot where I scrambled up, um, but there was there's no other structures out there. There was absolutely nothing out there that would have suggested that it would have been even remotely possible for something, uh, some kind of man-made object or something that we know of that is conventional in nature that would have, you know, emitted such a light like that. Uh, and then leading to an encounter of of such a kind afterwards. Yeah, it's it's really really puzzling and and super interesting because did you ever ask any of the locals if they've encountered anything like that in that area? 
We did. Um, we, we would go to Hill End, but I mean, when you drive into a small place like that, you know, they look at you like uh, like they do in the Western movies when yeah. a stranger rides into town. So um, they weren't very talkative, uh, even though we, we tried to ask them about, you know, have you seen strange lights in the skies? But these people would just, just, just completely shut off and, and just wouldn't talk to us about anything like that or, or, or any other subject. Uh, we did try to grill them with with other forms of you know phenomena. There, have you, you know, experienced this? Have you seen you know other forms of of, of unusual um, you know things out there? But they wouldn't talk to us. Yeah, it's the small towns are really hard like that because it could be something that's very well known, but a lot of people just might not talk about it because when the towns are small, you don't want to be known as the crazy. No, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. But there are a lot of stories that, that come from that area, um, and and after looking into it, there was a uh, a member from the UFO Research New South Wales. I think he was, uh, was a member, or just one of the um, oh, just one of the um, patrons that used to turn up to the meetings and. Um, I actually mentioned this encounter, I think it was during a meeting or a conference that we had at the time, and uh, this this fellow would come up to me and said that um, his grandfather once was down at Hill End, and um, I think he was prospecting out there, I don't actually remember exactly what he was doing, but he was, uh, basically it was sort of, I remember that he was saying that, this story was told to me about like, 15 years ago so I'm just trying to sort of put the details together as best as I possibly can but um, the crux of the story was that his grandfather actually noticed uh, some kind of craft a, an egg-shaped craft um, in a valley there at Hilland. I think this was in the 1940s or 50s and there were these, these beings that were in the valley near this craft, and they were almost like light beings. They were like uh, almost uh, bioluminescence, and they were collecting soil samples that what appeared to be soil samples. And they noticed this guy, and um, they quickly gathered their things together and went into this craft. And this craft just basically um, either just just disappeared into thin air or I don't actually recall how that he actually lost sight of it. I don't think it actually flew up into the sky. I think it just basically just became invisible or just vanished. Wow. Um, uh, but I do remember the story of this egg-shaped craft and, and these bioluminescent beings collecting soil samples. And that was around the bridal track not far from Hill End. Um, so, so there have been a number of cases apparently uh, that have occurred around that region that are strange in nature. Um, so and I do recall even having people uh, from the, the, the society that I was running at the time that would come up to me and, and they would say, look, I've, I've witnessed strange lights in that area. So it's, it's a commonly known spot amongst in, in the UFO community. Um, but again, you know, I'm going back you know, 10, 15 years now uh, when we had these discussions, so it was quite some time ago. You know what? I've actually uh, featured someone on the podcast, and it was very, very early when I started the show. It might have been like episode uh, four, five, or six, and um, mm-hmm. the episode's called A Monster in the Bush. And from memory, it happened in the Gosford area, and 
this this whole area is very very weird because it's all kind of connected uh, through the Yapoon, um, uh, sorry, the Yengo National Park uh, and the Blue Mountains National Park. Like, there's a lot of um, connecting bushland here, and essentially, right. he saw something very very similar to what you've just described to me. It was a, a, almost a child sized person, and he was able to see more features on this thing. And he mm. said that when he got close to this thing, it, it made him feel sick. Um, mm. It put out a, almost like a, a frequency that was hurting his body. And um, mm. it was, it, it was kind of like it had talons for fingers or it had like sharp points on its fingers. And he wow. said it had um, almost like shark teeth. Okay. And that was well, spotted, yeah, in the that, Gosford mate, area. I would have passed out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was, um, he, he kind of legged it out of there as quick as he could, could because he went in there with his hunting dog and his hunting dog didn't want any part of it either. Wow. Yeah. Which That's is interesting. It's crazy because I wonder if this could be something similar to what you saw. Um, because I mean, it, it's not, that far of a trek really if um through through the national parks for for something to go from gosford to to um uh hill end really and now a quick word from our sponsor ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Also, are you wanting more content? Why not become a Believe Plus member? You'll get access to exclusive podcasts and episodes that aren't available to the public. Not only that, you'll also get our regular feed without any ads. Head to believepod.com forward slash plus to sign up today for just $5 a month. Well, following a green belt, I guess you can do that because you would be going through, I think, um, the Willamar National Park um, up sort of probably around Cape T, maybe further down down past Sunny Corner, and I know parts in Sunny Corner, which is heading towards, that's sort of between Bathurst and, and Lithgow, um, and that's all national parks area. Now, they're, they're, they're all interlinked in, in, in some shape or form, mm. so if something wanted to sort of go from one national park to the other unnoticed, it can be done. Um, but, mate, what these creatures could be is just, is just mind-boggling. I really... I really don't know, mate. It's it's like you, you see things in life and you can sort of say, okay, well, that kind of resembles a lot of encounters that people have actually seen around certain parts of the world. Or I remember hearing a story about something very similar to this. So you can associate that encounter or correlate it with somebody else's story, which is very similar. But I've never heard anything up until now that you've mentioned it uh, about this fellow up in Gosford who had a very similar encounter which really amazes me yeah and I'm the same that is the only encounter that I I think would fit 
in a similar ballpark of what you experience and that's only going on on the i guess the the physical traits of of how it looked um mm. because the the whole thing where you couldn't see the any detail to it is that's that's kind of uh i guess terrifying in, in its own sense because it's kind of is this mm. a, a shapeless formless type of thing um and then the fact that it's kind of floating that's that's kind of next level type of stuff, really. It is, and it was very spindly too. I remember it being very sort of uh, like a very sort of, I wouldn't say gaunt, but very spindly. It was very sort of the limbs were were fairly long, um, and it wasn't ape-like or anything like that. It was it, it definitely resembled a, 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 you know a child human, but it like but longer arms and longer legs and very very spindly. Um, and it, when it went behind that scrub, uh, the the feeling of dread that overwhelmed me and that gut feeling that I got to, that's it. This is your threshold. If you cross this, um, you know, you may not make it back. Something is going to happen and it's not going to be very pleasant. And that just scared the hell out of me even more. Um, and it's almost like, I don't know if this thing was actually giving off that energy or whether it was just my gut instinct or a combination of both. Um, I just know that I had to just hightail out of there, and and uh, yeah, and as I was panicking, I was rummaging through the down the hill, and I didn't care that I fell, you know, one or two meters or three meters, however much I felt, but um, I, I was the, the adrenaline was was pumping in my blood so much that I was just focused on getting out of there in one piece. Yeah, it's a very primal reaction that. Because I hear a lot of people have those similar reactions whenever they have a, a Yowie encounter or something like that. And and mm. fairly so, because, I mean, that, that type of stuff is... You're running into things that aren't supposed to exist there. And they're very, very dangerous situations to be caught in. It's um, I can completely understand the, the whole uh, fight or flight response that people will have. Because I can tell you, if I was caught in a situation like that, I'd feel like my body would want to go in a million different directions, and <laughs> it mm. probably wouldn't be a, a fantastic situation in the end. But no, 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 it certainly wouldn't be. But one question I do have for you is: um, you said that you tracked up the mountain, and you were kind of getting guided by your torchlight to find these other lights. Could you see the light that you were looking for? No, no, because. Um, after this curtain, so when I was chasing this thing, um, after that curtain of light vanished, there were these almost like little flashes of white light that occurred randomly on the side of the mountain. And that happened when I was already making my way down onto the track. And the guys from base camp were telling me about, they were sort of saying, okay, well, you know, there are these flashes and, and we'll tell you when the next flash is going to be there and, and we'll see what's, go, what's, what's, what's doing this. So I didn't see the flashes. So the only way I knew what was going on is, and the only way these guys actually knew where I was, is when I flashed my torch back at the base camp. And... Um, and like I said, I went every sort of 10 to 20 meters and I flashed my torch back and then they, you know, messaged me saying, no, 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 it's, it's not there. And then all of a sudden when I flashed my torch back, they said, yep, it's directly above you. That's where it is. I didn't actually see the flash, mind you. I didn't see the flash of light that occurred on the side of the hill. All I knew is when they told me it's there, I just had to just like a, like a dog with a bone. I just mate, went for gold. I just 
didn't hold back. I scrambled on top of this hill, and I don't even know, mate, what the hell I was looking for. I just wanted to know what was causing this. Um, and I guess it was reminiscing a little bit of, of the opportunity that I missed out back in 2001. And, and that was kind of lingering in the back of my mind that I missed this opportunity. It could have been something there that was profound, and I had this one opportunity, and I missed it, and I may not have another one again. And I didn't want to replay that same scenario and then regret it for the rest of my life afterwards. So instead, I just blindly went into the dark. I mean, blindly, but I had a torch. But I guess my motivation was, was you know, was was at a point where it was just telling me just drive, just go, just find out what you're dealing with, and and that was it. It was that was it for me. I just had to go up and find out what this thing was, what was causing these flashes, and whether or not this this thing, this this entity, if we want to call it that, was causing these flashes. I don't know. I really don't know. But these flashes occurred randomly on the side of this mountain. Is it is it something that you'd ever go back and visit again, mate? I think we will one day. I, I think uh, I do want to go back. Uh, I, I want to go back with a with a bit more of a purpose rather than just randomly wait uh, and, and see what happens. I, I want to go there and maybe um, make a story out of it or something, and, and take a small crew with me. Um, and I wouldn't mind because that that place has a lot of strange. Uh, goings on, and I actually bumped into a fellow um, when I was when I had the uh, the premiere screening night for track, and he was telling me that he was I think he was camping around the Turon River near, near Hill End, and uh, there was something that was moving through his campsite. He had a young he had a young son with him, and it was big and it was heavy, and he believed that it was possibly a uh, you know the, the local Bigfoot over there. So there are there's so many things that happen in that spot that you really don't know where to start. But uh, I definitely want to go back um, and uh, maybe spend a bit more time there. Yeah, because the I can't I just can't get over the fact that you went there and you experienced that sheet of light twice in the same mm. spot. Because there's yeah. people who will go out there and experience something weird and never experience anything weird in their life again. You know, it's just mm. you were right place, right time. Um, but, I, yeah, I just can't get over the fact that you saw this thing twice in the same spot. You might be the luckiest man in the world, Attila. Mate, look, uh, you and me both, because I honestly thought that that opportunity in 2001 was gone. That was it. And when it appeared again, I, yeah, like I said, I, I, I didn't want to hold back. I thought, this is it. It's a second opportunity. I'm, I'm going to take it, and, and I don't care what happens. Um but uh, mate, I don't even know if it was luck or being at the right place at the right time or because we, we did go back around the same time, which was September, and that was usually when we were when we did our expeditions. It was kind of it was kind of on like it was early spring, it wasn't too hot, wasn't too cold. Um, you know, we weren't worried about snakes or, or anything like that. But it was that was kind of the month that we concentrated on, on our expeditions and we did it every year. We had a major expedition every year. And we had smaller sort of smaller outings and smaller sort of uh, expeditions uh, during the year, probably about two, three times a month, to be honest. Um, and we would just go to different places and spend the night out there and just assessing the, the environment and assessing, the, looking at the skies and whatnot. I guess, but if you spend enough time out there, um, you will bump into something. Absolutely. And 
I think a, an individual like yourself, I, I genuinely believe that when you've encountered the the weird and the unknown, that you are more receptive to it. Mm. As in that if you've if you've experienced something paranormal, I, I genuinely do believe that you'll experience more paranormal events than than I guess the standard person, if that if that does make sense. <laughs> It does, because I've heard that from other people as well. Um, uh, when I was involved uh, with the whole ghost hunting side of things, and uh, we, did some, um, we did some shows on, on, on ghost hunting, and we were involved with, with the whole sort of ghost hunting culture. And, yeah, when you, when you discuss things like this with people, and people will tell you that, yeah, look, you know, it's almost like... One one person actually described it to me. Once they see you, they know who you are, and then it'll just keep happening over ah, and over and over again. That's a good way of putting um, it. Yeah, it's it's almost like I think I heard something similar from the movie um, Constantine. Um, when, once they they see you, they know who you are, and they'll just keep coming back at you. And I think there's an element of truth to it, and I think you're probably on the ball with that, um, Kate, because I've I've heard this same expression from a number of people over the years and um, it also helps going into the right places too but a lot of these people would go back home after spending a lot of time you know investigating so-called haunted locations and their houses would all, all of a sudden the atmosphere would change inside the house and they would have things happen within their own houses where before nothing actually happened so it's almost like you're inviting this this I don't know this other aspect of reality into your own world and once it revealed you once you reveal yourself to them they'll reveal themselves to you and it just keeps happening over and over again and it's enough to drive people nuts uh, I've heard stories um, over the years of people just absolutely losing their mind because they were experiencing things that were so shocking that they just just couldn't deal with it anymore yeah honestly half the people that come on this podcast i don't know how they they really go on living a a normal life because some of the things that i've heard people encounter are genuinely terrifying and it's Mm. it's enough for you to almost question like what's real and what's not in this world anymore because i've heard i've heard stories of demons throwing or demonic type things throwing people across rooms and mm. it's just like, mate, how do you go back to a normal life after that? You probably don't. No, it's very hard. And then, like you said, the veil of reality becomes very vague at best. You don't know what's real anymore and what's not. You don't know, you know, if you're hallucinating, or you don't know if you're dreaming. It's just everything changes. Your perception of reality changes and, and, it's almost like you're walking around in the dream world half the time, you know. Not that you're you feel drugged or anything like that. It's just, it's just, I don't know. It's it's really hard. I think it's very very hard to describe it, <laughs> describe this feeling, <laughs> this sensation. Uh, it, I think that the listeners who actually have been privy to this and and would know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, who've experienced, you know, um, a lot over their lives. I think that they'll understand exactly what what I'm talking about. But it it is on the lines of what you're saying. It it is. It, it just things just just kind of blend together, and and the the abnormal all of a sudden becomes normal for you. You know, I mean, 
you know, I've I've got two kids, and they were brought up in a household where it was okay to talk about weird stuff. You know, we expose them to to this world, and and they've seen things that their friends would otherwise only see in in horror movies and in you know in in science fiction stuff. And it's because we we got our kids used to this at a fairly early stage, so that they won't freak out later on in life. So they understand that there are other aspects to reality other than what you see on a daily basis. And that's the other thing that kind of comes into the discussion is a lot of the the people that I, well, not a lot, some of the people I talk to, it almost seems like this is a hereditary thing where they they have these, I guess, I would call them, say, an ability um, to to see certain things and their mums saw things when they were younger. Mm-hmm. And um, then I hear people say that their kids are starting to see things and it's just like that that's probably a really hard it's hard enough being a parent as you would know but then having yeah. to having to have that extra type of responsibility as a parent to say yeah that's real you're seeing that type of stuff i think that's a a real testament to those people who have to go through that type of that type of upbringing of their of their children uh, i think that as you're mentioning that um, uh, a story a brief story comes to mind with my parents. My parents were very old-fashioned European people. You know, my dad was 48, mum was 36 when I was born. Um, So they were more like grandparents than parents. Um, But I I do remember one day, uh, they were very close off. There were stories that they wouldn't tell me and I kept on grilling them. And look, I had a, I remember I got my first UFO book when I was six years old. I was just absolutely fascinated. And we lived on this property over in Raglan. It was about a one-acre lot. And, the, you know, the tabloids, the newspapers had, you know, articles, you know, strange lights in the skies. And, and my, my parents and I would be walking, like, just after sunset. And it was, used to be a, a normal thing that we did. And we'd, you know, look at the satellites and, and, you know, and the stars and everything else. And occasionally we would see some really strange things going on up there. And I remember one day my mum in the backyard and she was waving her fist into the sky and cursing at them. Um, and I remember as a little kid going up to my mother, I was kind of upset and scared at the same time because she was really upset. And I can assure you she wasn't angry at God or anything like that. She was referring to the uh, referring to whoever she was cursing at and, 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 and sort of waving her fist at was them. And uh, I tried to, you know, talk to her about it and she wouldn't tell me and my father wouldn't tell me. Oh, and wow. I've lost my parents. I've lost my, I lost my mum in 2000 and my father in 2005, so I never actually got to find out what this thing was because oh, they that's knew something that they never told me. That's That's really unfortunate. That would have been... That could have been something groundbreaking for you. It could have been, mate. I think it could have put a lot of pieces together for me in this sort of in this confusing puzzle of life that we call, um, or that I would call, um, because there's obviously something going on there. There was a reason why my parents bought these books for me, um, and it was just strange for for parents to buy these kind of stuff for their kids at the time, you know, and. Um, uh, and it wasn't just one book. I had a, quite a few books, and, and they knew that I liked this stuff, so they kind of liked entertaining the idea that I liked it, that I knew more about it than your average kid at school, but they wouldn't talk about it. 
Um, and we would see, like, we would be watching the skies. I remember we'd be walking out and there was this satellite that we'd be watching, and the satellite would stop and do a 90-degree turn and just shoot off. Oh, wow. That's not a, <laughs> a satellite. And, and I'm looking at my dad and saying, wow, did you see that? And he'd say, yeah, yeah. He says, it's not a satellite. And he just kept walking. <laughs> he just kept walking. It was just, yeah, it's just like an everyday thing. Really, Dad? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool, Okay. Um, and we'd be sitting out in our front yard, you know, just I, I'd just be looking at the skies and just waiting for for these things to turn up. And it, it, I just had a really, really strange childhood, mate. And there's a lot of stuff that I don't remember, um, but there's a lot of stuff that I do. And, and, and these are some of the, the elements that I do remember uh, that have sort of, I guess, remains a mystery for the rest of my life and I'll never kind of find the answers to. Well, mate, it's... Um... I tell you what, I think you you got a life that a lot of people would be envious of because I think uh, the encounters that you've had, people will search their entire lives for a fraction of it, and um, the I guess the life's journey for you has been very very uh, I guess paranormal and UFO filled, and I think that's that's kind of fantastic in a way, and uh, absolutely terrifying in many others. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's um, it, it's been a, a really odd journey, um, and um, I'm just looking forward to what else life kind of throws at me because, you know, it's it's one of those things that, that I'll just keep doing this until you know my my life gives in and that's it. I can't do it anymore. But um, I just keep going until I don't know. I don't know what the 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 end result of all this will be and I don't know what kind of drives me but I just know that there is an inner drive and I just want to keep doing it and just like yourself you know it's sometimes you don't need a reason to do something you know sometimes you just have this this inner drive that's just telling you to keep going keep going and it doesn't necessarily need to make sense Um, it's just there and you just do what you have to do And that's going to do it for tonight. And remember, if you have had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook and that's facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. Until next time, stay safe. And you've been listening to Believe Australian Paranormal and UFO Radio. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.